welcome to the campaign podcast. And for once, we're talking about campaign. And here's why. Creativity needs someone in its corner, someone who understands it, who will fight for it, promote it, campaign for it. Well, that's the message of Campaign for Creativity, a new campaign from all of the editions of Campaign Magazine around the world. And we came up with this because our journalists have championed the power of advertising, communications, media, marketing, and most importantly, creativity, since we launched in the UK in 1968. Since then, Campaign has expanded to become an unrivaled international network of websites in eight key markets around the world, Asia, China, India, Japan, the Middle East, Turkey, the UK, and the US. Each of these editions has its own unique character, but we're united by a shared commitment to champion creativity and hold the ad industry to account locally and globally. So it's very fitting that for this podcast, it's the evening in Asia right now, it's lunchtime in the UK, and it's breakfast time in the US. And I can welcome my colleagues, Alison Weisbrot, who is the uh, editor of Campaign US, and Robert Sawatsky, who is editorial director of Haymarket Business Media in Asia, uh, which includes Campaign. So Alison, good morning. Robert, good evening. Hello. Hi, good evening from Singapore. So Alison, you're in New York. And, um, you know, the Importantly, the Campaign for Creativity, we launched in uh, June at the Cannes Lions Advertising Festival. And just ahead of that, we had a three-part series, which all of us and our colleagues contributed to. And, and that was around this idea of the Campaign for Creativity. And I, if I was to summarize, it's about the power of creativity to inspire people can build brands, drive innovation, and transform lives. But I think in our discussions ahead of this campaign, it was also this sense that creativity is is precious, it's fragile, and there are a lot of enemies of creativity. And that could be distraction, fear, time, money, discrimination, hierarchy. There are loads of different reasons that you might think that creativity can struggle. At the same time, you could even say that sometimes it's those pressures that can be a sort of mother of invention. But I think the key was recognizing that creativity is the driver of this industry. It's the lifeblood. So that was the inspiration for our editorial series and for the campaign for creativity. Now, Robert, it was part of an international sort of brainstorm Anything that you would say about how we came to the point where we were ready in June to launch this? Because we had some meetings as journalists and then part of the wider business team. Well, I think it's ex- it was exciting to just think that we were going to be launching a campaign for campaign because we, you know, we write about campaigns and we review campaigns and you imagine the ideation process as, you know, something else, you know, uh, most of the time. But I think that in the end, you realize just how much comes down to you know, drilling down to a core idea, looking at what are the practical necessities and what's achievable in the time given. And I think that probably that happens a lot more than brands or agencies will admit as well. So anyways, it's just interesting to be part of that process. 
Um, and it was interesting at the beginning because I think from quite early on, you sort of identified, you know, the notion of kind of creativity at the core of campaign. And uh, I have to say, it took me a bit of time to come around to the campaign for creativity because I didn't want us to be typecast into a publication that only is known for covering creative work. We cover all kinds of important issues around the media supply chain and targeting and workplace culture and inclusion and talent. And for me, um, you know, it's the work that campaign puts into elevating the industry that was key. But when we looked at, you know, the critical role of creativity in all aspects of the work in Marcoms, and you need to be creative in the use of platforms and you need to have the talent that works creatively as a team to use technology effectively. It was everywhere. Like you said, it was the fuel and the lifeblood in the industry. And that's why, um, you know, it was, it was fun, really fun, you know, putting it together in the end. Yeah. And just if, uh, hopefully all our readers have seen the sort of artwork, but we've got the famous campaign logo, lowercase, and then the words for creativity next to it so that you can read that as obviously campaign, our brand is for creativity and if dare I say it against the enemies of creativity, but also campaign as a verb that it's a second meaning that, you know, a part of our job as journalists is to hold the industry to account, but also to campaign to say that we believe in the power of creativity. And Alison, you saw the campaign come to life in Cannes. We uh, had the campaign for creativity messaging on the front cover of our special print issue was on our website and we had banners at the party. Um, how do you feel uh, from the U S standpoint about this concept of being for creativity? Yeah, I thought it came together really nicely. Um, I think that, you know, launching it in can like what, what better place to do it? Um, the, the entire advertising industry to Robert's point, not just creatives, but everyone from media buyers to technologists to all different types of players in the space were there. And um, it was a great opportunity to just make a big splash around what we stand for and and who we are. And um, my favorite part of it was just the global nature of it, because that is a unique uh, value proposition for campaign as a publication. And I just love the idea of all of us sort of collaborating from across the world, like how we're all gathering at different, very different time zones right now and just putting together this awesome piece of content that shows our our network and our uh, reach as a publication. Yeah, well, I definitely think for listeners, just to understand, you know, each of the campaign websites is separate. There's each one is sort of run and edited locally. But we do team up on stuff and um, perhaps it won't surprise people to know that there's a WhatsApp group where we share stories and if we've got something coming up, obviously, if we've got a big story, I'll just give you an example just because it happens to be topical this week. Mondelez had the result of its media review. Uh, we got hold of that and um, the uh, Alison and Arvin Hickman, the media editor in London, were collaborating and it was coming to the end of the day in the UK and Alison kindly was able to team up. And the, the it's what I always say when I wonder, is this the right time to publish the story is it's always morning somewhere in the campaign audience globally. Exactly. The sun never sets on the campaign empire. We're, we're around the clock here. Yeah. And I, and whilst <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to sort of spend too much time 
uh, talking about ourselves, there's a basic point, which is we're increasingly a global industry, even though you have to think locally. So we did this editorial series, uh, which we actually launched the the week before uh, CAN, but it's long lasting. And the whole idea is that we were looking at kind of the biggest issues facing the industry and, and maybe challenges to creativity. And um, all of us, that's uh, Robert, Alison, me, and our colleagues, we we kind of brainstormed about this, the sort of themes that we thought mattered to our audience. And we settled on, on three. I'm sure there, there are others we could have thought about. The battle between profit v. purpose, how brands try and juggle those two competing and sometimes complementary drivers. The talent pipeline we've had obviously COVID, a great resignation and so on. And then the dominance of technology. And I think it shows how things have moved quite fast this year, that when we started talking about the dominance of technology, we've also seen some of the big tech companies actually hit some wins uh, in the last few months. So that's interesting as well, having seen a sort of acceleration of technology at the start of the pandemic when everyone was at home. So we looked at the enhancers and enemies of creativity and We surveyed all of our readers around the different websites, and we asked our readers, what is the greatest enemy of creativity? More than 1,200 people who responded. And guess what? The the biggest enemy of creativity in the minds of the audience, 38% said profit and performance targets. Uh, Well, you could argue that it's a commercial business, uh, if there weren't profit and performance targets, where would we be? But that was seen as an enemy of creativity. The dominance of technology, data, and process, that was seen as by 27% as the greatest enemy of creativity. Uh, the talent pipeline and the challenges around lack of diversity and inclusion, 20% saw it as the greatest enemy of creativity. And too much focus on social purpose, only 14%. And I know it's not necessarily easy to define what uh, too much focus on social purpose is, but uh, that's what we explored actually in our first sort of of three essays. What we did is we had uh, four of our major regions collaborate for each of the three-part series, the first one on profit v. purpose, and then uh, on the talent pipeline and technology. We had four essays, one from the U.S., one from Asia, one from the UK covering Europe, and then one from India. And Campaign India is a very important market. And you think about India uh, rivaling China as the most populous country in the world and a huge, fast-growing market. Uh, Alison, I'm going to come to you for Profit v. Purpose. So you wrote an essay for that um, opener. And not surprisingly, the purpose agenda has become it become even more important when we think about things like Black Lives Matter, the things that have happened in the last two and a half years. What was the view from the US? I was actually a little bit surprised by the answers I got from people, uh, especially reading the, the essays from um, the UK and Asia, because I think a lot of people in the US, it's, it's actually not that surprising because we are the home of capitalism, right? So a lot of people are they feel that having these like performance targets and having a motivation to create profit for a brand is actually a way to think it it encourages people. 
in agencies to think more creatively, right? Because it sort of gives them, you know, profit is the purpose in a lot of cases for brands and that's okay. And I think people in the U.S. are okay with with admitting that. Um, so uh, I actually got a lot of mixed responses on the, when I was challenging creatives, like, oh, does that sort of, you know, hinder your thinking when you're just driven by these targets? And they, they sort of came back with the response that, you know, any like creatives love having sort of like a tight box put around them, right? Because that's how you can come up with like constraints help you come up with really good ideas. So that was sort of the vibe that I got in the marketplace, which actually what was surprising to me aligned a lot with the piece from India, um, but not so much with the pieces from the other the other two regions. Um, and, and one other thing that, that stood out was there is this sense of while purpose is super important and motivating for creatives to come up with great ideas, obviously you're going to be more inspired. You're going to be more enthusiastic about an idea that has the potential to change the world, right? But I think that um, there's been an overcorrection towards purpose and a lot of the campaigns are feeling a little bit formulaic and don't necessarily have that authenticity or that brand tie-in that makes it make sense for them. So while purpose is great, I think people are wary of purpose washing and just sort of like doing it without thinking it through um, how their brand actually makes sense uh, talking about a certain cause or issue. Yeah, well, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And and I would say it's there were some interesting quotes that um, we had from Campaign India uh, Rahil Chopra, the managing editor from Campaign India. And I think uh, one of the outcomes of creativity is profit that came from the chief creative officer of FCB India. And I, I liked actually this concept that you know, a successful part of commercial creativity is commercial results. I mean, you exactly. have a great idea that drives innovation and can be ben- a benefit and drive profit. Robert, think, looking at the whole of, of Asia Pacific, what was your sort of takeaway from and uh, Sarika Raghavan, the editor of Campaign Asia, wrote the, this essay? Mm-hmm. Well, things are are changing a lot um, across Asia Pacific, and again, it's one of those regions, obviously, where it's very hard to generalize because you have so many you know different individual markets that um, you know where the the wind is blowing different ways. Um, I mean, the what you just said about about India was something that kind of I was alerted to earlier, even pre-pandemic. I remember one time um, I was at Cannes and there was a lot of discussion. It was, you know, filled with discussion about purpose. And it was at the time there was a lot of talk about less is more and paring down and not being, you know, so commercially driven. And I was speaking with the head of publicists from South Asia. And he said their teams were sort of deflated because they were, they were doing great commercial work and they, uh, felt that in their market, people were still excited to buy things and the values were at odds. So just, just you know, just as, as you know, Alison had talked about. Uh, and when I kind of came back and had the same um, message in it, kind of a, just to, to relay it in the breakfast briefing, there were others from China who felt very much the same way too. So it's those kind of economies that are still emerging that kind of you really have this dichotomy of profit, but purpose is coming up now really at the same time. Um, I think across Asia, there still have been the same issues around authenticity at the beginning. My one of my favorite um, presentations at Spikes Asia, which is the you know the, the Can Lions together with Haymarket, you know puts on Spikes. It's a, it's the regional award program, um, and there was a creative from Densu to uh, Toshihiko Tanabe, and his 
presentation was don't let purpose ruin our industry. And he told of a meeting in Tokyo just before coming here where ideas pitched around a campaign were to either save a rainforest or fight Alzheimer's or else it was to bring people from isolated parts of Japan into the economy. And then he, and then he told us that the campaign was actually for a new macaroni and cheese flavored crisp. And somehow all these ideas had come into there and it was just reflective of, again, the lack of authenticity around, you know, what exact, why are you doing it? What, you know, is your brand really aligned with this purpose? And I think that plagued um, more campaigns early on, but I think it's also shifted a lot. I think a lot of brands are smarter and they also know that the, you know, especially younger generations see through it, um, the greenwashing and that they really have to back it up. And so we're seeing a lot more initiatives that do have a real strong element behind it and they have to, to, to say, to do what they say they're going to do. So it, it's been, it's been shifting quite a bit. Well, I think the campaign creativity is very much looking at what the next generation of you know talent are going to want. And Gemma Charles, who's the deputy editor of campaign in the UK, in her essay, you know, she quoted Alini Santos from Unilever, the chief brand officer and chief uh, equity, diversity and inclusion officer, uh, who spoke at a campaign event, Media 360 in the UK in, in May. And Alini Santos actually really honed in on this issue, you know, that, that uh, as Unilever likes to say, you know, some of their fastest growing brands like Dove are also the ones that are pushing to try and be more sustainable and more um, equitable in their approach to their audiences. Uh, she cited some Ipsos polling, which revealed that, uh, well, they said that 95% of consumers expect brands to stand for social issues. And 62% said they stopped buying some from some brands because they didn't share the same values. So I think that's certainly we live in an, in an age where uh, consumers can vote pretty fast to change their habits. And the the thing that resonated for me as well is that it's a bit of a false dichotomy, profit v purpose. I feel like you have to do them both. Um, if we now could be a good time to move on to the talent issue anyway, because that was the second of our big themes that we looked at. And Robert, you wrote about this. Um, what was your big takeaway? Because it's fascinating to know what what the last two two and a half years have been like for talent in Asia. Yeah, I mean, I think that. Every you know, so many people are have been struggling with this. Whether you're uh, yeah, any kind of company right now, there's been you know, talent in flux. For for me, it was interesting because um, throughout COVID, there are many markets in um, Asia Pacific where I think more of them had less kind of questioning of the rules, less questioning of kind of what to be done. It was more like, we'll follow the rules. We, you know, there, there wasn't a big debate over mask wearing or kind of restrictions, et cetera. Um, most people, you know, fell in line in most markets. Um, but when it came down to this existential questioning of, you know, what am I doing with my life? That was very much there. And so the great resignation had a huge impact um, across Asia Pacific. Um, we did a poll, we, we did a state of you know, marketing talent report in Asia Pacific for our campaign 360 that was in May. Um, and two thirds of all the you know, brands, agencies, publishers were affected by the great resignation. They saw rising 
uh, you know, salary inflation was rising. There were also rising expectations among the other staff. Um, but people were leaving. People were leaving in part to because they wanted to try um, to to you know to to just you know take a break. Um, that was that was part of it. But more of them were actually leaving for also for new skills for to kind of to to train themselves better for the future. There was some that would would leave for money, but it was more. They wanted something. They felt like there was another kind of calling out there um, that that to prepare themselves for the future, and they wanted to to try to go somewhere else for it. Um, but it was it was it was a real issue. And then the other people that I talked to in the article have said that you had that together with the fact that what do many, especially in kind of the younger generations, want? And a lot of them want to either you know work like creators are and kind of work for themselves, um, work kind of more in the freelance economy, but also be creative in their own way. Um, or else, you know, there, there's the lure of the platforms that are out there, but that coupled with the fact that agencies still were burdened with this kind of reputation for overwork. And we had really, you know, some, some bad incidences, um, in this part of the world with overwork, you know, contributing to, uh, you know, suicide and that kind of thing. And some of that legacy is still kind of like hung around. And so I think it's uh, other people from agencies spoke about this, the need to turn that around um, and to try to kind of make the industry fun again, to try to show how creative it can be, to try to say it's not like it was in the past when people don't have to work here until midnight every night to get things done. Um, so that was a, a you know big part of it. And then the other part was, was also... Um, diversity, equity, inclusion, all becoming more important still and a bigger factor. And then again, you know, across the APAC markets, it's, it's a very different market to market. There's, um, you know, some markets are more homogenous, but there's still a huge difference in terms of how accepted people are based on their backgrounds, their socioeconomic backgrounds or what part of the, you know, the country they're coming from. Um, there was, so there was still, you know, really kind of people were looking for that inclusion, whatever it meant in in each of the markets, and that was kind of really key too to make sure that there is that acceptance there too. So I think a lot of the same issues, um, but just kind of maybe came at it from from a slightly different way. What I hear across the Asia Pacific region, I was particularly struck by what I read from the Campaign India piece which was by Eulary Saldana, our senior correspondent. And she was talking actually a lot about neurodiversity and disability as being important areas of inclusion. I think maybe that reflects quite a lot of maybe just the nature of the Indian population and so on. Those kind of things made me think that that they it appeared that race, for example, was a, less of a defining issue you know, for the ad industry in India. Um, Alison, tell us a little bit about what you saw in the US because um, I feel like inclusion is really high up on the list of issues. Yeah, I would say race is definitely a defining issue. Um, and, and topics like disability are, are coming up a lot more in the US now that we're sort of like two years, three years into reckoning with you know the death of George Floyd and all of the racial um, equity work that's that's gone into that. But um, for me, I think a lot of the same issues that Robert was talking about came up in the U.S. Um, there is that sense of agency talent and creative talent, um, you know, wanting to explore the opportunities to become 
whether it's a freelancer or a creator or use their creativity in different ways, like there's just more avenues now to be a creative person and make money um, than just working at an ad agency. And that's just the nature of how we consume media and the technology that's transformed our lives. But um, in, in talking to creatives, I think definitely the biggest issue is inclusion. And I think it stems all the way back to recruitment, right? Because I don't know if I know the U.S. has quite unique uh, racial dynamics, probably more similar to the U.K. than, than Asia. But um, I, I think a lot of people use this excuse like, oh, we just can't find diverse people. We just can't find them. And a lot of the time they're just not looking in the right places. And that's what sort of my essay um, tried to get at the heart of. So you know, there's these like certain ad schools that people go to, or, you know, you get your foot in the door at one agency and then you get poached by another, but getting your foot in the door, that's the hard part. And I think that having that lack of perspective, whether it's a black perspective, Latino perspective, um, Asian American perspective, that's what leads to work that falls flat and doesn't connect with, with the audience. And quite frankly, isn't as creative as it could be um, without that diversity of perspectives in the room. So I think the talent issue in the U.S. is twofold. It's definitely uh, a market that's that's struggled with the great resignation and people sort of wanting to break free from the the rigid and, and intense ad agency culture and go be creative somewhere else, whether that's freelance or a tech company um, or, you know, in-house at a brand. And then there's also the issue of like, we're not, we're not finding this, this like diverse talent that's out there that we know is out there that could contribute to our organization so much, but just the way that the recruiting systems are set up, the way that they're the systemic inequities are in terms of how people look at resumes and vet talent are just sort of preventing that from happening. Well, whilst there's a lot of work to be done. I think one of the striking things that has happened in the last um, 12, 18 months is the ad industry in a number of markets has tried to do a better job of measuring itself. And we had the World Federation of Advertisers do a census in 27 markets and a campaign was a supporter of that. That was last year. And I know that um, the WFA will be doing that in 2023 again. And I think that sense of measuring what the makeup of the industry is and then worryingly uh, people perhaps from uh, different uh, ethnic groups, uh, women uh, compared to men, the older people sometimes, there's a, there's, it's clear that if people from uh, feel a radically different sense of belonging depending on depending on their background. Yeah, I think it also has to do with just um, this shift to remote work, right? So the U.S. is such a big country and there's so many differences in, in across regions, right? I'm sitting in New York, which is sort of the heart of the advertising, Madison Avenue. But not everyone's in New York. Not everyone can afford to live here. Not everyone is has the same political beliefs as like the majority of New York City. And I think the ability to work remotely and, and agencies that have leaned into hiring remote talent, um, you know, they do get the diversity of like regional perspective and it opens up racial diversity as well. So I don't, you know, there is the debate about like, is working from home making us less creative? And, you know, do we need to be in the office to be inspired? I think there are benefits from a talent perspective to working this way. Yeah. And I, I, that brings us on to the last 
um, big theme, the power of technology, which we asked, is that an enabler or enemy of creativity? And, you know, I am struck by the idea that actually the power of technology has been to lower a lot of barriers to entry for creative people. I think the industry as a whole has a lot of questions to answer about how accessible it is and how inclusive it is. And not all technology is available to all and technology, especially the newest tools um, are, are often not cheap. But the basic point is we've got, uh, whether it's TikTok, an example of a platform that's come out of Asia rather than imposing a challenge to the sort of US dominance of technology. Uh, the, the ability for people and, and, and brands to communicate out beyond traditional advertising, uh, that's in lots of ways a very exciting development. When I was looking at this, because uh, I wrote an essay about the, the, the sort of impact of technology, I felt like, yeah, there's a, there are many positives that I, it's really what, what, the biggest shock is that all the money, uh, advertising money, has shifted to tech platforms that didn't exist 20 years ago. That's to me, is the, the thing which has been the dominance of technology is suddenly the, the market has become quite skewed in lots of ways. But that's something that perhaps, I'm not suggesting there's going to be a radical readjustment now, but this year we've seen a number of, of the platforms actually slow. And even in the case of Meta, stop growing in terms of their revenue. So uh, there was Alex Grieve, who's the new global chief creative officer of BBH. And he said, this was um, you know talking to us, uh, talking to campaign, I think we're at this tipping point where there'll be a reawakening and reappreciation of creativity. And uh, I think that what he was getting at was we focused a lot on technology as a means of delivery rather than as a creative canvas. Um, uh, now, through the power of technology, I can see both Alison and Robert, and you both nodded at that point. Uh, Alison, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think actually, um, and this is what, you know, Jess Haygate, our uh, Campaign US, who used to be Campaign Asia technology editor wrote about is um, te technology is a huge enabler of creativity, right? If you do think about it as a means of delivery. So think about like all the different amazing campaigns on TikTok and all these platforms, these creative ideas that are coming out um, that would never have happened, you know. 20 years ago, it was all about this formulaic, like 60 second, 30 second TV spot, maybe throw it up on a billboard and you're done, right? Now you have to really think about creatively, like how am I going to tackle this new medium? And I think that opens the aperture a lot on what you can do creatively. But at the same time, I think that, um, you know, if you're just thinking, if you're just following the data, right? If you're just looking at numbers and make every single decision based on what the technology and the data tells you to do, you still need that like human, like gut feeling and, and human touch to make a creative idea resonate, right? So I think that it depends like how you think of technology and how you use it. Um, I also think what Jess got at in her essay is that a lot of the industry has a tendency to chase shiny objects. We definitely know that. Um, so right now as the metaverse takes over every single conversation um, that's happening in the industry, there is that notion of like, all right, let's just 
you know, let's not chase these like shiny things. Let's sort of think about how they make sense for our company and for our brand and sort of let, let business decisions and um, creativity lead and, and, you know, technology will, will be a means for, will definitely reshape the way that we do brand communications and, and think creatively, but um, you know, they don't necessarily have to be all about chasing like the next, the next shiny thing. Uh, Robert, um, um, final word from you on the sort of power of technology. And uh, I, I think you said right at the start when we were, when you were talking about the campaign for creativity, that you wanted to feel positive about the, the if you like, the role of all forms of media and communication and the, not to think in a narrow way about creativity. Tell to what was your take on on the the role of technology as as a dominant force in in the industry? Well, I think, like you said, it's like it. There's um, what technology is doing is it's enabling all kinds of um, it's, you know it's it, it's enabling the delivery to a, to a greater degree, and a lot of it is around that around enabling personalization at scale. Um, and the the piece that Sean Lim. Uh, wrote, who was the contributor, who's our uh, technology and media editor, um, you know, cited the example of this Cadbury ad, which was very successful in India that used Bollywood actor uh, Shah Rukh Khan using artificial intelligence so that mom and pop stores could, for lack of a better word, you know, hijack the ad and be able to promote local products. And there were thousands and thousands of iterations that could come out. Um, I think, though, part of what he talked about was something that um, Allison alluded to as well, is that sometimes if you're too focused on tech and sometimes the brands are too focused on the efficiency around tech and how to, to use it, that you lose sight of the idea. And that's the problem. That's when it becomes the enemy of creativity as well, is if you're kind of losing losing sight of that. Um I just, uh, you know, published in the in campaign an, an article, an interview with a guy called Laurent uh, Thévenet. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He's the head of creative tech at Publicis for APAC, um, and he's looking at AI and creativity, and again, kind of looking at that too. Still, in everything he says, it's you know, a, AI is an enabler to to get to the creative output much more quicker. It, it can find various sceneries or portrayals or designs more quicker. So the ideation process, you don't have to have a creative, you know, going out and kind of searching online and taking a week to find something out. It, it knows what's out there. So it can bring everything to the fore much quicker. But he still said it's still not smart in its own. Still the output from AI alone is still, you know, not quite there. So that's what I, I still you know, find is interesting. And that technology in itself is still still in that kind of helping or enabling phase. It, and what people worry about is if it if it's taking over and just becoming the creativity itself. And I think we're still a long way away from that, which is, which is a good thing, I think, for, for creatives in the industry. Well, working uh, together was great on this and the campaign for creativity will continue. Um, we or collaborate sometimes on a daily basis on news stories, as I was saying earlier. And we would like, I think, to do more of these bigger projects as well, where we collaborate. Stay tuned is what I would say for the next step in campaign creativity. And if you'd like to read about these articles that we've written, 
please visit our website. Now, I'm going to give you the UK version, but obviously you can look at the different versions because it should be on each of the regional websites, campaignlive.co.uk slash global. And that's the hub for our campaign for creativity content. We want you to subscribe because then you can stay up to date with everything going on in Adland and best news, analysis, opinion. Campaignlive.co.uk slash membership. And of course, since you're listening to this, if you would like to follow us, follow the campaign podcast, just go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a follow. This campaign podcast has been produced by Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. I want to say lastly, thank you to Alison. It's not time for breakfast. Robert, it's time for bed. So thank you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Gideon. And on behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. Bye. Bye, everyone.